There's something interesting that happens in the human being when trauma is experienced. Consider the traumas of Jim Crow and of 400 years of slavery. That trauma has affected both black and white people because both the acts of oppressing and of experiencing oppression distorts life and hinders one's capacity to experience freedom. And since it's Black History Month, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about how this weighs on the Black experience, on the white experience, on the American experience. And yes, I know this is neither monolithic, nor is it exhaustive. And that when I use these labels, I'm speaking of a compressed composite that will always fail to fully express the experience of millions of people. But despite those limitations, let me speak on this. And let me first speak to the experience of those of us who are descendants of slaves, slaves that were kidnapped from West Africa, brought to the United States during the Atlantic slave trade. I am part of this community, and my ancestors were slaves in this country. And indeed, my grandparents still live and breathe with the fresh memory of Jim Crow. So it's not something that is so far and distant from me and my own lived experience. I recently made a post on Twitter that is worth restating here. I wrote that there is no legislation that can be passed, no slogan that can be memorized, no reification of race, nor deracialization of race, no funding of the police, nor defunding of the police that can replace the necessary, messy, and painstaking work of healing trauma. That trauma does not get released and has not been released merely because of the civil rights movement or because of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, or because of Brown versus the Board of Education. Trauma which is embodied, which is stored in the body, does not get healed through legislation. And it's true that legislative measures can provide the space for the healing to take place. It is not the same as the healing itself. And the healing process is messy and long and complicated. And one of the reasons why is not because of systems of oppression commonly labeled whiteness by some DEI officers and conventional DEI pedagogies, nor is it merely due to a preponderance of European cultural values dominating a space. Indeed, it is often the case that the desire to dominate space is itself evidence of some insecurity that hasn't been fully owned or processed, which is then projected onto marginal communities. This defensive mechanism is not the exclusive property of the white man, but one which we all share in common as human beings due to the most entrenched, most systemically oppressive institution of all. Any guesses on what that institution is? I'll give you a hint. It is older than the church. Indeed, it is older than religion itself. 
It is older even than our conceptualizations of time. Any idea what I might be describing? You. I'm describing you. And I'm describing me. Consider that all of us, all of you watching right now, every single one of us, contain what's called an autonomic nervous system. That system is 600 million years old. And that system is composed of two parts. The sympathetic system, which is biased to see the world as either an opportunity or a threat. And the parasympathetic system, which is biased to see the world as completely safe, as completely at rest. And these two systems are pushing and pulling at each other, constantly finding balance, constantly adapting to the environment, and all adapting the environment itself, one constantly being shaped and shaping the other. It really is a beautiful, elegant system. But what this means is that the very systems which make us adaptable also make us susceptible to self-deception. This is the brilliant insight of Dr. John Verveke, cognitive scientist and friend of the theory of enchantment and the Heart Speaks podcast. Do you know this about yourself? Did you know this about yourself? And now that you do know, what are you going to do about it? You are the outcome of billions of years of evolution. And so am I. And during our journey to Earth, we've picked up certain adaptations. And some of those adaptations are trauma-informed. In fact, if you read the work of Gabor Mate or Bessel van der Kolk's work in The Body Keeps the Score, you'll see that many, many of the adaptations we've picked up are trauma-informed. There are adaptations we took up in order to feel loved, in order to feel worthy, in order to feel like we belong, in order to feel like we mattered. Ah, there's that word, to matter. There's that slogan, Black Lives Matter. What might that slogan reveal about how many within the African-American society today feel about not being seen or heard or loved? And how does the feeling of not being seen or heard or loved degrade one's being? One of the adaptations I take up when I am confronted with rejection, and remember that racism is a fundamental rejection of who a person is, and one of the experiences I feel when I am rejected is shame. And it's also fear. I become frightened. And one of the adaptations I take up when I am afraid is defensiveness. I make sure I am always on guard. But here's the thing about always being on guard. This same sense of guardedness, which I use to protect myself, is a protection mechanism that can give way to bigotry. Because with this kind of guardedness comes a sense of joylessness. With this kind of guardedness comes an inability to trust myself because I cannot fully be myself. Since to be myself is to become threatened with prejudice and death. And so you see, 
how it becomes this dangerous loop. After all, it was, historically speaking, white people's inability to trust themselves that produced this bigotry, which then engendered racism against Black people. I can't help but wonder what unprocessed traumas did those Europeans seeking to escape from religious persecution in search of a new world cast onto those Africans that they subsequently shackled and dismembered and maimed. There is nothing that we do to each other that we do not simultaneously do to ourselves, friends. Nothing. James Baldwin describes this phenomenon of those of European descent in America distrusting themselves, not being able to trust themselves. In the fire next time, he wrote, something very sinister happens to the people of a country when they begin to distrust their own reactions as deeply as they do here and become as joyless as they have become. It is this individual uncertainty on the part of white American men and women, this inability to renew themselves at the fountain of their own lives that makes the discussion, let alone elucidation, of any conundrum that is any reality so supremely difficult. Because the person who distrusts himself has no touchstone for reality, for this touchstone can only be oneself. Such a person interposes between himself and reality nothing less than the labyrinth of attitudes. And these attitudes, furthermore, though the person is usually unaware of it, is unaware of so much, are historical and public attitudes. They do not relate to the present any more than they relate to the person. And it is this, and this is me talking now, it is this adaptation of being guarded that takes the person out of the present moment out of the capacity to be present with what is. Not with what was in the past. Not with what could happen. But with what is. So that he is instead constantly looking over his shoulder because if he doesn't, he might die. And so being guarded is an adaptation that he picked up over billions of years of evolution. And yet... If he continues to live his life in such a way, his soul will die. Because he will start to over-identify as the guarded one. His entire identity will become wrapped up in being the guarded one. And the very thing that keeps him alive will shackle him. Remember, the very things that make us adaptive also make us susceptible to self-deception what a phenomenon. Now, let us for a minute consider all this information I've laid out here and ask a simple question. This year, the theme for Black History Month is Black Resistance. Why? Why might that be? What might that reveal to us? After all, there is a long and glorious history of Black people in this country, in the United States, resisting Jim Crow, resisting institutional racism, resisting all of these terror-filled and terrible things. But there is, I fear, also a danger in glorifying resistance in and of itself. 
Resistance must be in service of something higher than resistance itself, else it runs the risk of becoming an adaptation by which we as Black people will start to define the entire thrust of our lives. It runs the risk of leading us to define ourselves exclusively and exhaustively. Emphasis on the word exhaustion as resistors. And this becomes a hamster wheel from which we can never leave. This becomes a hellish loop that has nothing to do with freedom. Because if all that we are is guarded, if all that we are is resistant, if all that we are is defensive, our light is not able to fully shine through. I heard a vocal coach say something recently that was really profound. She said, the ego does not want to change. Even in your misery, at least you know yourself there. It's when we step into unknown territory that we become fearful. Who would we be if we did not feel like we had to resist all the time? Who could we be if we were not on guard all the time? Who would we be if we had space? Who could we be? It is no coincidence that Black Lives Matter is the slogan that it is. It is an insistence, it is a demand that Black lives be treated as though they matter. But, again, this presents us with a dilemma. Because as I pointed out to you earlier, there is no legislative act, there is no slogan you can memorize, there are no definitions of Blackness or whiteness that you can internalize, no chant you can memorize, no Twitter battle you can win that can replace the long and tried and messy and dark and sorrowful process of healing that is necessary to release trauma and to allow the undamaged essence. And yeah, I know, Essence Magazine was a Black magazine I grew up reading in my childhood home and at the hairdressers and so on and so forth. That name is deliberate right? To allow the undamaged essence of self, which is connected to source, which is connected to the divine, which is your birthright and my birthright, to come through to shine forth. The theme for Black History Month this year, Black resistance. And I must admit that I have been moved by much of what I have seen in the posters and reels of historical montages online, the sit-ins, the marches on Washington, the voluntarily going to prison, all in service of that greater goal of freedom. But let's not forget that greater goal of freedom. Because if we forget the goal, we can too easily fall into a loop where we start to resist for the sake of resistance, and we resist for resistance's sake, and we are fearful all the time, every time we're surrounded by people who don't look like us. And just like that, we have, without even knowing it, confused being guarded, a confused resistance for being free. And in order to become free, we must heal. And in order to heal, we must commit to an ecology of practices that is rooted in love. That, my friends, is the only way. Happy Black History Month.